talking to us about, yep, Mary probably didn't know. And we don't know. And here's the issue. We spend probably the majority of our lives learning about or following Christ without really ever knowing Him. And we have a tendency, we meaning the church wide, I'm sure not you guys, but other people, have a tendency of when we, when we consider Him, when we consider who He is, we, we're not um, driven to understand Him, to know who God is, to, to begin to comprehend His attributes. When we work our way through the Scripture, and there's lots of times where, where God uses descriptive terms to describe Himself. And we, we read them, and we see them, but we don't maybe stop, consider them. We don't meditate on them. We don't chew on them. And we, we just keep moving by, moving by. And then what happens in the church, we end up with uh, we're issues where we, we're pretty sure that this is how God is. But we have never spent any time to decide whether or not our, our opinion of how God is or how God behaves or what we think He looks like we, we don't take the time to say, is our opinion what the Bible says? Or that's just my opinion? Or is that just what the church I grew up in, that's what it teaches, so that's got to be right, right? But each of us, hopefully at one time or another in our lives, has experienced what it is to have uh, another relationship with someone on earth. It doesn't matter, I'm not necessarily talking about being married, just a friend, somebody that you cared about. And when you have a friend or somebody you care about in your life, you usually want to know about them. And when you spend time with them, what happens? You learn about what they like, you learn about what they don't like. When something comes like Christmas, you got an idea of if you wanted to get them something that would bless them, you got an idea of what you could do that, that might be a blessing. Or, or they're just an acquaintance. You guys know the difference between acquaintance and friend? Acquaintance, somebody you might know their name. And you say hi when you walk by, but you don't really, it doesn't really matter to you to get to know them on a deeper level. And I guess my challenge as we work our way, particularly through Psalm 94, but many other scriptures that we're going to work our way through is, is, is God, is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the, the triune God that we worship, is he an acquaintance or a friend? Do you want to know Him? And in knowing Him, do you want to know Him? Because there's some crazy things that God tells us about Himself. He says things like, I'm the Lord, I change not. You know anybody like that? Who never changes? Who's always the same? Yesterday, today, and forever? He says, my knowledge is infinite. You know anybody like that? Now you might know somebody who thinks they're like that, right? But we probably don't know anybody with infinite knowledge that knows everything. And he also wants us to understand, in John he tells us, right? 1 John chapter 4, he says, I am love. He's that ultimate expression. Uh, the fancy theological term is he's omnibenevolent. Which means all good. All loving. But the Bible also tells us that God is wrath. The Bible also tells us that God is holy. God is just. And in Psalm 94, what we, 
will we have the opportunity, the, the, the attributes of God that we get an opportunity to look at is that very concept between the love of God and the wrath of God. You know both of those things have to exist, right? We talked about it before. If you love, you have to have wrath. Because if something happens to destroy or damage that which you love, what's the, what's the flip side of it? Wrath. And God is a God of wrath. Revelation chapter 6. Why we, we read through all the crazy things. Beginning in Revelation chapter 6, we, we see the, the beginning of what people call the, the tribulation period. Uh, the 70th week of Daniel. All kinds of craziness is happening. You have the four writers of the apocalypse. Right? You have the Antichrist on the scene following behind him. War, pestilence, death. All this destruction... Finally, a global earthquake, this chaos erupting all around everybody. And you remember what the people say. The, the, the Bible tells us the people on the earth are running and they're looking. They're looking up to the mountains and they're begging the mountains to fall on them and hide them. From what? The wrath of the Lamb. Which is a strange term in and of itself, right? The wrath of Jesus Christ. Hide us from His wrath. The other thing Revelation 6 says, is even in the midst of all those things, man wouldn't repent, but would rather be buried under rock than to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And so they're looking, they're looking for escape from God's wrath. Now, as we look at it, hopefully we'll be able to to have a little bit better comprehension of the wrath of God as we work our way through. But I just want you to see Psalm 94. Look how it starts. It begins with the word, O Lord, right? O Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, remember? So what's, what's that? That's a tetragrammaton. Well, that's a fancy word for what? Yahweh. Four letters, a Hebrew, Y-H-V-H. What does that mean? It's a proper name of God. It's not like the word God. You know God's name's not God, right? That's just what we use to substitute. God's name's lost. Four consonants. How do you pronounce it? I don't know. Some people say Jehovah. Some people say Yahweh. When we see him, I think we'll get it. We'll, we'll understand. The Bible says now we see through a glass darkly. We don't quite understand everything. But then we're going to see him face to face, right? And we're going to understand. So there's going to, definitely going to be a day when we're going to comprehend those things. But when I see capital L-O-R-D, this is not some random word for God that could mean a judge or a king. That's God's proper name. Yahweh. O Lord God to whom vengeance belongs. Isn't that a crazy way to start a song? Remember the Psalms where, where the, that's the worship book for the, for the ancient Hebrews, right? They're coming up and singing. So, oh, oh Lord, Almighty God, Yahweh, to whom vengeance belongs. It reminds us of a scripture, doesn't it? In Hebrews, what's it tell us? The Lord says what? Vengeance is mine. Well, what, why does he tell us that? What do you think? Why do you think God's trying to tell us vengeance is mine? See, it's part of who God is. Part of who God is, is His wrath. 
And he never changes. So what causes God's wrath always causes God's wrath, right? Always and forever. One of the ways I try to describe it in school and ministry is I talk about this concept. It's not perfect, but maybe it helps grasp the idea that we have the love of God. It's like a waterfall flowing down on the right side, on the left side. you got a waterfall flowing down. That's wrath. Depending on your theology, my point is you get to pick which one you're standing under. Where do you want to stand? Love of God or wrath of God? But, but don't fool yourself into thinking you don't, you don't have a say in the matter. What was it in Revelation 6 that God was every... We're going to look at scriptures tonight dealing with God's wrath that are mentioned ten times in the Old Testament. That's a lot, right? How many times God has God got to say something before we hear it? Is ten good number? So he says it ten times. We're going to look at it. He says these things ten times. What is, why does he tell us? Every time he mentions it, it's a call to repentance. Every time God talks about his wrath, it's a call to repentance. Because the Bible is very clear in what it describes. Does God glory in the destruction of the wicked? The Bible says, the Lord says, there is no glory in the destruction of the wicked. Where's the glory? That the wicked would repent and live. Now that's, that's God's ultimate desire. But we are going to see that the Bible does describe that God is glorified in His wrath. Because there comes an end to the rope. You guys know what I mean? You, you get to run, you can run. I ran away from God for 13 years. I don't know how much further was the end of the rope. I'm just glad I stopped when I stopped. It's possible to reach the end of the rope. Right? It's possible to reach the end where God says, that's it, judgment. That's as far as we go. So He is the Lord of vengeance. Why isn't it us? Because we're not the rest of the attributes of God, are we? God is truth. God is light. God is beauty. Who do you want having the ultimate judgment? You or him? God says, I know the heart. I know the thoughts. I know the intent. So God is in that perfect place. But let's talk about it. what's the biggest struggle for mankind dealing with God since the beginning of time. Work your way through all the psalms where we've gone through. 94 psalms. We work our way through it all. What's the biggest problem? What's the deal with evil, God? When are you going to stop it? When do you squash evil? When do you stamp out the wicked? When will that all end? Man's been calling for that for a long time. Man's been calling for that. God's going to deal with that. In Psalm 94. So God, the Lord Almighty, belongs vengeance. Uh, oh God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. So listen to the cry. God, come, it's time. It's time for you to, to deal with this. Rise up, O oh judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. And then the question. Look at the question. Same old question. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Why is there evil in the world? Why doesn't a good God stamp it out? If God's good and God's all-powerful, 
and it would be good to wipe out evil, and God doesn't wipe out evil, then He's either not good or not all-powerful. That's the argument. And God deals with this question really throughout history. It's funny because we like to have our cake and eat it too. Do you guys like that? I, I, I do. I, I get sad. Kathy makes a big batch of fudge and she cuts it up and puts it on a plate and covers it with plastic and goes and gives it to somebody for Christmas. I'm a little sad. I want my fudge and I want to eat it too. So when we look at God, we think, I want, I want that mercy and I want that grace. See, God's patience just means that God's wrath is awaiting the day. That's all patience is. And we're going to see it, I think, as we continue to, to work our way through. I hope that we're going to see and recognize <clears throat> all that, uh, that is involved in it. All throughout the Word of God, we see the Word of God amazed at the patience of God. All through the Word, amazed at God's patience and long-suffering and how long He waits. We've talked about a couple of examples. Jesus, as a child, 12 years old, He's in the temple and He's amazing all the priests, right? Remember, He's answering their questions. Uh, Mary and Joseph leave and forget him. You know, there's that moment of panic. Oh no, we lost the Messiah. Where's he at? How do we tell God? Do you pray at that moment? Or what kind of panic goes through your heart? We, we lost the Messiah? Ah. Uh, so, but Jesus is back at the temple. Does Jesus know at 12 years old that the temple's corrupt? I'm sure he does. He knows the temple's corrupt. It's a mess, right? We know in... Roughly, what, 18, 19, 20 years, Jesus is going to come back and overturn tables and throw out all the money changers, right? We remember the story? And he's going to say, you've made my, my house a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. He cleanses it. Why did he wait? Why didn't he do it when he was 12? Because God is long-suffering, patient. He waits for man to kneel to submit themselves to God to seek God's forgiveness and repentance and to be made right God waits he waits he longs to see man do those things that he ought that he can that he's able flip over in your bibles to genesis let's go look real quick genesis chapter 15 We'll pick it up in, in verse 12. You guys remember Sunday we were talking about what it is to have covenant two weeks ago? Cut covenant, remember, cut animals in half. Two parties would enter in between them. And basically they would say, look, we promise to fulfill our end of the bargain or what happened to these animals is going to happen to us. Remember the story? And I told you, Abraham, God told Abraham, Abraham said, hey, God, how do I know that these things you're promising me are going to happen? And so God says, cut covenant. So he cuts all these animals in half and he spends a lot of the day shooing off the animals and, and he falls asleep and has a vision. And rather than meeting God in the middle between the animals, God passes through alone. Which means, Abraham, you don't really have anything in this. 
you don't have a dog in this fight. It's all mine. I'm going to do it. Even if it kills me, I'm going to do it. Isn't that interesting to consider? God standing before Abraham in a vision saying, even if it kills me, I'm going to accomplish my covenant, my redemption. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you a son, the seed. The Messiah is going to come from you, even if I have to die to do it. Pretty interesting when we consider all of that. Well, when we look at Genesis chapter 12, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, it says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a horror and a great darkness. And he said uh, to Abram, No, certainly, this is God speaking to Abram while he's, while he's having this vision, no, uh, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. Abraham, I'm going to give you the land, but not for you. It's not for your kids. It's not for your grandkids or your great-great-grandkids. They're going to be strangers in a strange land. They're going to serve uh, an, another, another nation. It's going to treat them badly. Look at verse 14. Also the nation whom they serve. What's he say? I will judge. So he's going to judge Egypt, right? You guys have read the Exodus, haven't you? Heard the story about the, the plagues? Right? The, remember all the plagues? Passover's created. God delivers the nation of Israel. What did God say? Now, as yet, so far, when he's talking to Abraham, there no, there's no big nation. There's no e- Egyptian uh, uh, deal going on. That's still something that's going to happen yet future. But, but when that takes place, God says, look, you're going to serve them. You're going to be their slaves. But I'm going to judge them. I'm going to judge them. Egypt. For what they do during that period of time. They're going to be responsible to me. And at the end of 400 years, at the end of that period of time, I'm going to pour out what? My wrath. So at the end of the plagues, what happened? Every house in Egypt had one of two dead things in the house. A dead son or a dead lamb. Now, is that going to be any different? At the end of days, everybody is either going to be covered by the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus Christ, right? Or their own. You either have His covering, His sacrifice, or none. Death, or serving Christ. But look what He says. Now as for you, Abraham, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. And you'll be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they, your your offspring, they shall return here to the land of Canaan, the promised land. Abraham's already in it, but he's not going to give it to him yet. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Okay? That's Bible speak for the sin of the people who live here hasn't reached its zenith. And until the sin of the Canaanites reaches its zenith, I'm not going to pour out my wrath. Wrath is a term of judgment. God's judgment that is coming on a world or a people or a time that has rejected Him. And when it reaches that point, then it's just over. It's done. 
throw them out of the land. The land's mine. So, so God, 400 years he waits. 400, you don't think there are people during those 300 years that said, Lord, don't you see what the, what the Canaanites are doing? They gather people up that have a different mind than them and they cut all their heads off in the street. They take their women and they bury them up to their necks and they, and they throw stones at them and they stone them. They do all these horrible things that we can't understand, God. Why don't you just do it now? God says, their sin's not full. Sin's not full. And if we're honest, a lot of us would like to take the job. Well, I'll tell you when their sin's full. Who do you want deciding when your sin's full? Your enemy from across the ocean? Or God Almighty? Who do you want to be responsible for your second, third, fourth chance? God is a God who is patient and long-suffering. But He is a God of wrath. He is a God who judges sin. While you're sitting there in, in Genesis, flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll just take a little look at the New Testament. Every once in a while somebody thinks, I just preach out of the old. Let's look at the new. Remember, we started Revelation 6. That's about as new as you get, though. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 4. So that we ourselves, as Paul talking of the Thessalonians, we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So he's writing to a people who are suffering, right? They're suffering, they're going through suffering. He says in verse 5, which is manifest evidence... Of the righteous judgment of God. This time of suffering that you're going through. And your patience in it. Is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.5 That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Look at verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God. To repay with tribulation those who trouble you. How would you define that? Since it's a righteous thing for God to pour out His wrath on those who trouble you. On those who are killing you. On those who are cutting off the heads. On those who are doing their thing. It's a righteous thing. On that day when God brings His judgment. And in verse 7, to give you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Look at this picture of his wrath in verse 8. He's revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. When the Bible talks about flaming fire, it's what we're talking about. Judgment, wrath. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those. Who's he taking vengeance on? On those who what? Do not know God. Part 1. Everybody with me? What's part two? And on those who do not obey 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What? He's going to pour out his wrath. He's going to take vengeance on those who do not know God. Who do not know God. What, what kind of knowledge is he speaking of there? That's why I asked you in the beginning. An acquaintance or a friend? Do you know God? Do you know his heart? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what the scripture, how the scripture describes him and why it describes him in those terms? Do you care to, to understand that, to learn, to grow, to, 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 to put effort into your relationship with him? Because think about what it says in James. You guys all remember that, right? Tell me, how good is the devil's theology? Doesn't he know who God is? Does he know God's real? But what does James tell us? James tells us that the demons believe in God. But they're not saved. How come? Exactly what he's saying here in 2 Thessalonians. What's he saying here in 2 Thessalonians? They did not know God and they did not what? Obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the good news? What's the gospel of Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ has become our salvation. That he has taken upon himself what? What did Jesus do at the cross? When he died on the cross and he looks up into heaven and he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he calls everyone within earshot and everyone who will read about it afterwards to look up. Psalm 22, which begins with that same phrase, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? The wrath of God, the Father, is being poured out upon the Son. And he who knew no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. What is it to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's to submit to God and receive that gift that Christ is offering. I bore your wrath. I bore your wrath. But it requires an act of submission, doesn't it? It's not, I'll do it, Lord. No, you don't worry about it, God. I'll do it. I'll live better. I'll be a better person. I'll take care of all that. You don't have to do that for me. If that was possible, when Jesus was in the garden, and said, Father, if there's any other way, the Lord would have looked down on him and said, Yeah, you know what? You don't have to do that. There's a few people coming down the line that are going to be able to be good enough. But the Father didn't do that, did He? And the Son did go to the cross. And I know that His sacrifice was accepted. How do I know it? Because three days later, He rose. And then when he rose and he spent all those days walking with his disciples and we come to the ascension, you can read about it in Daniel chapter 7. It's one of the most uh, exciting sections of scripture in the book of Daniel. You read, the, read the, the gospels about the ascension of Christ and then read Daniel 7. When the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days, he comes how? Up. And when he comes to the Ancient of Days, what's the Ancient of Days say? 
sit here at my throne. Now, you tell me, who does God share his throne with? I'm going to tell you, it's not another human. He shares his throne. Son of man is a, is a title of Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. Sit here. And God says, until I make your enemies your footstool. Who are the enemies of God? Those who don't know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because before we come to to salvation, before we come to a knowledge of Christ, what's the Bible say? What am I to God? I'm an enemy, right? I'm an enemy of God. But while we were enemies of God, what did Jesus do for us? When we were lost in sin, Christ died for us. Not because of any great thing in us, but simply because of what God's Word tells us. What's it tell us in John 3.16? For God did what to the world? Love. Remember I told you? We're focusing on two attributes, two sides of the same coin. What is it? Love and wrath going to be under one or the other mankind in in uh, uh, Psalm 94 is looking for God to pour out his wrath pour it out deal judge these people judge these people when we look at when we're looking at uh, um, 2nd Thessalonians um, and we see what that looks like flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God those who do not obey the gospel, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. How long does that destruction last? Yeah, right? Is there some confusion? Uh, Occasionally I hear people who get confused about that concept. It's it's pretty easy there. Everlasting means it lasts forever. Everlasting destruction from what? The presence of the Lord and from God. The glory of His power. When He comes in that day. To be glorified. In all His saints. And to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony. Among you. Was believed. So there's a day of wrath right? When God pours out righteous. Judgment. On a. Christ rejecting. World. That's just truth. That's there. And that's what Psalm 94 is calling for. Rise up. Judge the earth. Judge. And the reason why the psalmist can write a psalm like that, and we look at it and we say, why would you sing a psalm like that? Is because they understand what it is to suffer. And we don't. Right? Suffering for us happens a long ways away. For the most part. The closest that I can think of that has got to us so far is San Bernardino, and that's a long ways away. And before that, it was further. Maybe France. Before that, it was further, out in the the Middle East, and we hear about guys like Pastor Saeed, who's from Idaho, but has been in prison in Iran for the faith for... Three years now. That's a long ways away. When Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, 
about the day of wrath. Why does he do it? Why is he telling them about it? Remember how it began? They're a church that's suffering under persecution. So what is Paul giving them? Hope. How's he giving them hope? He's giving them hope in the wrath of God. That there's hope in the wrath of God. You and I, we might not grasp that. Because our world not tore apart like, like theirs was. Nobody's coming in your house and saying, Get out, you can't have this house no more. You either renounce Christ or you're living in the snow. But if you were, if that was happening, if that kind of persecution was going on, in our part, corner of the world, was happening for us, then you might find hope in wrath too. You might comfort yourself by saying, one day God's going to judge these guys for what they're doing. Because they're enemies of God, right? They're either enemies of God, or they're with Him. Is there any neutral? Is there some space in 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 life where where people are just in the middle you know i'm just undecided does that exist what did jesus say his own words you are either for me or against me is there a neutral is there a middle ground you're either for me or against me it's challenging because because you know because of school of ministry, I've been working through the attributes of God, and some of the attributes of God challenge me in comprehending and understanding what is it to be to, to be all-knowing and omnipresent everywhere at every time. And if God's everywhere and He's omnipresent, He's everywhere at all times. And then my picture of hell was always the absence of God. But there can't be a place of the absence of God if God's everywhere. If God's everywhere, then, then God's everywhere. So what, how does that work in, in the concept of hell? Because what's going on in hell, <laughs> quite simply, is the wrath of God. The wrath. God's wrath. We describe it so we can kind of comprehend it in different terms. But those aren't necessarily the terms that, that God's Word lays out for us. So we... we, we see and we recognize this was given as hopeful that's why the people could sing a psalm like this and 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 literally be singing a praise to the wrath of god because one day god's going to judge the wicked and i also want you to understand this when they viewed the wicked it wasn't you know everybody with brown hair and brown eyes Wasn't everybody who dresses different or smells different than me? Who was the wicked? Anybody who had rejected God, friend of God, or an enemy of God. And the wicked, ultimately, in their mindset, is that big concept evil. One day, God's going to put evil down. Remember when we began our discussion, I said there's an argument out there that says of an all-powerful, all-good God could, if it was good for him to wipe out evil and he hasn't wiped out evil yet, then it's not good or it's, he's not all-powerful. There's another part to that. 
or it's not time yet. There's a day. There will be a day. And that's what they are ultimately calling out for. Before we jump back to to, uh, Psalm 94, look at Exodus 34. Great section of scripture dealing with what God's like. Dealing with what God's like. It's dealing with uh, the giving of the law. God's going to describe himself to Moses. In verse 6 of Exodus 34, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, notice it, what's that? How's it look? All capital letters? What's that mean? It's God's proper name, right? Yahweh, Yahweh, Yehovah. God's name. The Lord, the Lord God. Now, here's his attributes, Phil. Let's look at it. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and mercy. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What's the next line? By no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What's Moses' response? So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped. That section of scripture, ten times in the Old Testament. All ten times, it's a call to repentance. It's a call to repentance. a call to do what Moses did. Bow down to the Lord. Confess. Receive forgiveness. And that, you look at the attributes of God, how many of them are focused on forgiveness? On mercy long-suffering. But he also says, look, there's no free pass. or no free pass. You've got to deal with the sin issue. That's got to be dealt with. Evil, evil, the evil that's in the world and the evil that's messing up everything around us and the evil that is something that man everywhere is clamoring to see an end of lives in a human heart. And if we want to see it dealt with, and we as individuals, got to go to God and have it purged out of me before I worry too much about whether he's got it purged out of them. Get that out of me. Right? Because before I'm going to go take the speck out of my brother's eye, what do I got to do? I got to get the log out of mine? But then for what purpose? He doesn't say get the log out of yours and do nothing. What's he say? Get the log out of yours so you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He doesn't say don't take your speck out. He just tells you to deal with it inside of me. Deal with it in me. Look how he describes the wicked back in 94 uh, verse 4. They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity or all the workers of sin boast in themselves... They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and they afflict your heritage. Look what they do. They slay the widow 
and the stranger. Now that word, the stranger, just so you know, that's alien. That's not the guy from Mars. Who's the alien in the Bible? The stranger from a strange land, right? You had two groups in Israel. Jew, who's Gentile? Was there some other people group that wasn't included in Gentile? So that covers everybody? The alien was everybody else that was visiting, who was passing through, who was apart. Look what they do. They slay the widow. They kill the widow. They kill the alien. They murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord can't see and the Lord God of Jacob does not understand. Now you tell me which of them things in 4, 5, and 6 our nation isn't doing as hard and as fast and as loud as they can. Which one ain't they doing? When Twin Falls, Idaho, every Friday they, they murder the fatherless. Right over by the courthouse. It's a little building there. Looks like a home. But it's a tomb for every mom who comes in there who don't want her baby. Every single Friday. They slay the widow. They kill the stranger. They afflict the heritage of God. Now, this is the attitude of the wicked. How do we deal with the wicked? First we deal with our heart. First we make sure our life is right. First we make sure I know God. That I understand what He's doing. Now I can see clearly. So that I can go out and, and minister the truth to people who are perishing. Because let me tell you, if you had 30 seconds to just look, to watch the wrath of God happen somewhere else, it would definitely change our attitude towards how much... Uh, we want to make sure we're able to share what people need to stay away from. The wrath of God. Well, he says, God can't see. God doesn't know. He doesn't understand. God doesn't get it. Look at verse 8 through 11. This is the response. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? Why does he call them senseless? Think about what Paul says. What happens when people choose to reject God and continue to live in their sin? How does the Bible describe what happens to them? Their, their conscience gets what? Seared, right? With a hot iron? So you ever had a burn? Someplace that was burnt bad? What, what do you lose? Feeling. Feeling. What's he call them? Senseless people. You're beyond feeling. You're You're beyond feeling. What's a fool? Someone who knows better, but continues to walk in rejection. Look at verse 9. He who planted the ear. <clears throat> That's God, right? Who created our ears? He created our ears, but he can't hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. So the response is, oh, God can't see. God, there's no God. God don't know what He's doing. And the response is, yeah, God sees. He made your eyes. He made your ears. 
He made you like you are. He hears you. He sees you. He instructs the nations and he will judge. And what you think won't change any of those things. And while a fool rejects instruction, look at the blessed man in verse 12. Blessed is the man who you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. Oh, how happy is the man whom you instruct, O Lord. How is it that God instructs us? Through His Word. Through His Word. Is God an acquaintance or a friend? You want to know Him? Do you want to know what makes Him smile? Do you want to know what He's like? How He feels about things? Or are we just okay just having our own opinion and saying, My opinion's good enough. Do we want to know Him? That you may give Him rest. That's the man who wants to be uh, taught in His Word. That you might give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. But judgment will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Keep in mind, what did he say? Judgment will do what? Return. What does that mean? That's not there now. When the nation of Israel are singing this song, they're, they're, they're heading into uh, captivity or they're in captivity. And they're not having the judgment. The judgment of God's not bailing them out. And these things aren't changing them. So where is their hope? That will return. It will return. God will judge the wicked. God will judge the wicked. What was the purpose of Revelation 6? All the craziness, all that stuff happening. What was God calling out to His creation in their suffering, in their persecution? What was God asking for? Repent and believe. But men would rather call on the rocks to hide them than repent and trust the Lord. In verse 16, he says, Who will rise up for me against evildoers? This is the psalmist. Who's going to help me against these evil people who want me? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Who, Lord, is crazy, the world's crazy, all these things are happening, people are coming. Who's going to stand up for me? Look at verse 17. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. That's death. Unless the Lord had helped me, I was not going to make it. If I say my foot slips, what catches me? Your mercy, O Lord. Your mercy will hold me up. Your mercy. God's mercy catches us. Well, why is it that I get God's mercy and they get God's wrath? Simple, simple act. Simple act. Looks like this. That's it. What does the Bible say will happen in the end of days? All men will do what before Jesus Christ? Every man will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But some men won't bow, right? The difference between one or the other, I know God. I know what God wants for me. How do I defeat the devil? What's the Bible say? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. What's the first part? Submit to God. How many times when we tell somebody about doing battle with the devil, do we just skip that part and say, well, resist the devil and he will flee. Yeah, not without the first part he won't. 
Submit to God. Bow the knee to Christ. Receive Him as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us what? To confess the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? We've lost sense of the word kurios. That's the word. Kurios. Confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Not only our sovereign, not only our king, but that he's God in the flesh. Kyrios is a substitute term in the Greek for every time the proper name of God is used. Kyrios. That's the Greek word. For Adonai in the Hebrew. Greek word. He's pointing to. We confess. We bow the knee and we obey the gospel. How do I obey the gospel? It's really not a lot of obedience on my part. What is, what is the obedience of the gospel? I grab a hold of Jesus for all I'm worth. Not, that's not much. And he does. He makes me righteous, right? Do I make me righteous? No. What am I doing? I'm clinging to him. You remember when Mary Magdalene met Jesus in the, in the tomb? What the Bible says? And she sees him and she's weeping. She can't even see. She thinks he's a gardener. You guys remember? Well, the next thing she does when she goes, when she recognizes Jesus, she grabs a hold of him. And the Bible says she clung to him. And Jesus had to say, Mary, I haven't yet ascended to my father. You can't hold me here. <laughs> I got to go. That's what we need to understand in the word clinging to Christ. When Jacob wrestled with God, how was it that he received the blessing at the end of the wrestling? You remember? He's wrestling with God. God reaches down, boop, and his hip goes out of, out of joint. What does it say Jacob does? He held on and said, I won't let go without a blessing. You holding on to Christ? Holding on to him for all he's worth? That's what separates those who deserve wrath from those who deserve mercy. The mercy of God comes to those who have bowed their knee to, to, to the Lord, declared him to be our Christ, God, King, Savior. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You will be. Unless the Lord did it, his mercy catches me. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Anybody ever get stressed out? In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your, com your comforts delight my soul. What's that saying? It means, <clears throat> do you want to know him? He's just an acquaintance. If you want to know him, man, his comforts will bring you peace. Understanding what God is like. Who God is. How God moves. Shall the throne of iniquity sin? Shall the throne of sin which devises evil by law have fellowship with you? Our government, is it always the world always going to be evil? Is it always going to be like this? Can they both exist at the same time? Perfect, holy, just, righteous God and a sinful world? No, they're headed for a collision course, aren't they? Let me tell you. There's a lot of disagreements in the church. A lot of disagreements about a lot of things. You know what nobody disagrees on? Who wins at the end? Nobody, everybody's got that part right. Everybody's got that part. Yeah, 
Evil will not exist. God is going to stomp it out. They gather together against the life of the righteous, and they condemn, condemn innocent blood. That's the world. But the Lord has been my defense, and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity, and shall cut off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. God's going to do it. There will be ultimate justice wrought Christ is going to accomplish it. God's wrath should bring hope, should encourage us to share the truth of who God is and how God wants to, to change us and purge us and use us. God's wrath is a part of His attributes. It's part of who He is. It's a part of of what we will learn and what we can learn to love about God. Depending on what's happened in your life may bring you comfort right now. But the day will come. Vengeance is His, not mine. He does it. He does it. I'll, I'll trust Him with that part. He can work that part out. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to cling to Him for all I'm worth. And watch God do His perfect work, which was begun 2,000 years ago with a baby born in a manger. 33 years later, hung on a cross and bore that wrath they used to hang over us. That's the hope that Christ brings us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.